Okay, um, how are your brains doing? All right. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, um, let's pause for uh, another word of prayer and ask the Lord to once again attend us. Heavenly Father, we again ask for your spirit to speak to our hearts. Give us wisdom, give us understanding. Humble us at your feet. And um, we're just so thankful for what you have done here over these last few days. Lord, continue to minister to us, continue to teach us, continue to draw us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> Ellen White has a statement. I didn't bring it up here with me, but uh, it is found in the Desire of Ages. And uh, she says there, it would be well to spend a thoughtful hour every day meditating upon the life of Christ from the manger to the cross. Uh, she says we should take it point by point, allowing the imagination to grasp each scene. Uh, let me talk to you for a minute about the importance of the imagination. When we hear that word, we often think of it in a negative term. Uh, but God gave us imagination. Uh, and Ellen White says that we should use that imagination upon the Bible. <coughs> use that imagination with the word of God. Uh, Isaiah 26.3, as I mentioned before, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose what? Mind is stayed on thee. The margin there reads imagination. Um, I believe that the devil understands that he who has the imagination has the man. Um, you'll remember that when God sent the flood uh, in the times of Noah, it was because, Genesis 6 verse 5 says, the imaginations of men's hearts were only evil continually. The devil had gotten a hold of imagination and perverted it. Uh, that's the same he's doing today he's seeking to pervert our imaginations so that when we go down to pray instead of thinking on jesus all that's before your mind is the last movie you watched right god wants us to have spiritual eyesight and uh just imagine if you've ever had problems praying uh, for a long time. Anybody have problems praying for a long time? Um, if you were to take the life of Christ and imagine that, how long do you think you could pray? <laughs> Meditate. Because that's what it is. It's just sitting down and saying, okay, let me see this in my mind. Man, I hate to use this word. But there's really like no other word for me to use. So let me visualize it. <gasps> the 
pastor is into visualization. No, I am not. Imagination is what? Seeing the unseen. Now, let me say this. Godly imagination takes the word of God and dwells upon that. Amen? Ungodly imagination professes to see things, all kinds of things that aren't true. So when I say something like, man, imagine us standing on the sea of glass mingled with fire. <gasps> what did you just do? <laughs> you just simply what? Saw that with the eye of faith. Have you ever tried to picture what heaven is like? I mean, think about it. Go down in your prayer time and just think. Just spend time trying to imagine what heaven must be like. Try to imagine you and your family and your friends standing on that sea of glass, mingled with fire, experiencing thermal equilibrium. That's what she's saying with the life of Christ. And for, for that matter, uh, man, why not in your prayer time go back to the Exodus and march with the children of Israel through the Red Sea? Oh, wow. You know, there's something about uh, 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 seeing something that kind of really fixes it where? In the mind. And so once we begin to understand uh, 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 that, that God uh, wants to show us such incredible things. He wants to sanctify our imaginations so that our imaginations become trained not on the things of the world but on the things of God. Then God can take our godly, sanctified imaginations and speak to us through that. Remember the quote that we read yesterday? He, that is Jesus, through the imagination reached his hearers. When we look out in the world, we see evidence of intelligent, what? Design. When we look into the scripture, we see evidence of divine design. If we look closely enough, we will see patterns unfolding before our very eyes. Patterns that no human could have intentionally done. Patterns that are indeed divine. And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at um, this, this evening. The divine designer. Got your pens? Let's begin with a very simple principle. And actually, uh, Taj had just mentioned this principle in his, in his uh, message a little bit earlier, which was uh, repeat and enlarge. I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. Um, I'm going to call it the principle of nothing new, only more detail. You got that? Nothing new, only more detail. 
And here's simply what that means. In the Bible, there is nothing, say it with me, new, only more detail. For example, the first prophecy in the Bible, what is it? Genesis 3.15. There you go. <laughs> After that, there is nothing new, only more what? Detail. The entire Bible is an unfolding of the conflict that is mentioned in Genesis 3, verse 15, between the devil and the seed. Does that make sense? So if you rightly understand Genesis 3.15 and what that controversy is all about, you have all the tools to correctly understand the rest of the Word of God. Uh, the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are simply an unfolding of Genesis 3.15. All the books after that, they, they add nothing new. They simply add more detail. It's like a uh, camera. You, you take a picture from afar off, and then your next picture you zoom in. Your next picture you zoom in. Are you picking up anything new? No, only more what? Detail. The first prophecy of the New Testament, any know, anyone know what that is? Matthew 1, 21. He shall be, his name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In all the New Testament, there is nothing new after Matthew 1, 21. The entire New Testament is the unfolding of how Jesus, what? Saves his people from their sins. Does that make sense? If we were to go to the book of Daniel, we'll find the same thing. Daniel chapter 2 contains the first prophetic portion of the book of Daniel. That is the, 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 the what is that, the image Head of what? Gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, toes, part iron, part clay. Then the stone that cuts, that is cut out without hands, smites the image on its feet. In Daniel chapter 2 are all the elements necessary to understand the rest of the book of Daniel. If you rightly discern Daniel chapter 2, you have already correctly identified all the parts of all the rest of the book of Daniel. That, does that make sense? What do we have in the book of Daniel? We have Babylon representing what? Head of gold. What else do we have? Medo-Persia represents silver. Um, all right, legs, Rome. Uh, and then, uh, is that it? Toes? The Ten Kingdoms. Are we missing anything in this? Uh... Oh, you guys just totally jumped over something. <laughs> Where's the papacy? <laughs> um, 
The legs are Rome, and then the toes represent who? The ten kingdoms. Those are the toes that are of what? Iron. But what about this clay kingdom? <laughs> you know what clay is said to represent in the Bible? You know, the Bible uh, says, Oh Lord, you are the potter, we are the clay. The clay represents anyone who professes to have God as its molder. So among the ten iron toes rises up an element that is spiritual in nature. It is different from the other kingdoms, which are all metals. Are you, is, is that, does that make sense? So then we just simply say, hey, does, you know, is this verifiable? You go to the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy, and she says, the mingling of the toes of iron and clay represent the mingling of statecraft and churchcraft. So there's the papacy right there. Okay? And so from Daniel 2, we have all that we need to understand all the powers of Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, 10, 11, and 12. It's all there. It's all there. The same is true of the book of Revelation. What is Revelation's first prophecy? The seven what? The seven churches. If you understand the history of the seven churches, you have been given everything that you need to understand all the rest of the book of Revelation. Isn't that something else? If you can rightly discern the, 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 the first seven churches, the first prophecy of the book of Revelation, you have everything because after that, there is nothing new, only more detail. Only more detail. So let's remember then that the, book, that the entire book, the entire Bible, follows this principle of nothing new, only more detail. It is true in the book of, uh, in the Old Testament. It is also true in the New Testament. What we're going to do today is we're going to unfold uh, uh, the, the, the divine patterns that are found in the book of Revelation. Have you ever tried to study Revelation by yourself and you're like, man, I know I should know this, but, you know, this is just hopeless? <laughs> or you haven't even tried. I'll just depend upon the evangelist, you know. We, I know my Revelation 13, and that's it. <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you a divine pattern. I'm not going to tell you what, who represents and all, you know, who, what, none of that. What we're going to do is we're going to notice that Revelation is built on a pattern. There are symbols to be understood, patterns that we're going to see, and all this will help us as we attempt to unfold the book of Revelation. Let me ask you this. What one symbol is Revelation most encompassed around? The, someone said it, the sanctuary. The sanctuary. Therefore, if we have a good grasp of the sanctuary, it will also enable us to get a good grasp of the book of Revelation. 
We want to understand the sanctuary. We, we want to understand symbols. I want to do a little exercise with you very quickly. I'm going to ask you to go to the book of Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25. And let's uh, begin with verse 1. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw out some verses here. Um, and we don't have a microphone going around here, so I guess I won't do that then. Um, let's do this. Let's notice verse, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you these verses, and when I call for the verse, I just want you to yell it out for me, okay? Nice and loud. Can you do that for me? All right. Um, someone find for me 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Who's got that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, okay. Um, someone find for me Psalm 12, verse 6. Uh, we'll go with you. And then, would you, uh, would you do... Uh, Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 20. Jeremiah 15, verse 20. Um, can someone find for me Numbers chapter 15, verse 38 and 39? Okay? You got to remember what verse you have, so when I call it, you can just uh, read it out loud. Um, th there really is no order to this? Okay, you run around. All right. First Peter. Let me have someone find uh, Matthew 27, verses 28 and 29. Okay? And uh, John 19, 2. All right? Revelation 19, 8. Revelation 19, 8. And then Exodus 26, verse 7. Exodus 26, verse 14. Isaiah 53, verse 2. Okay, just a few more here. Revelation 8, verse 4. And uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 5. Okay, now, let me begin reading Exodus 25, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly. With his heart ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them. Let's read it together. Gold and silver and brass and blue and purple, and scarlet, and fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badger skin, and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Okay, well... Um, how many of you before now would have read that, those verses and left those things unturned? <laughs> but you know better now. <laughs> because you <laughs> are part of the army. <laughs> so so let's, let's look at these symbols and try to figure out what they represent. Does that make sense? So let's have someone, um, we're not going to do this in any, in any particular order. Um, let's go, with, okay. Let's go with uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 
First Peter chapter two verse five. That the genesis of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. No. Mm -hmm. That was first Peter chapter one verse seven. Chapter is that one. right? Yeah. I actually asked for first Peter chapter two. Verse 5. So I'm not doing it in order. I'm not doing it in order. So don't expect uh, to. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. We are, we are studying together now. Go ahead. He also has lively stones, a built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, precious stones. Precious stones. Um, let's go ahead and have someone read for me. Excuse me. Uh, let's go ahead and read, read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we're going to read it again. Okay. You don't worry about it. You, you, oh, I got to practice. You, yeah, you got to practice. Okay. <laughs> um. There it is. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, so we have here that gold is symbolic of what? Faith. Can you, you can't see it? We're in trouble. Oh, let me try black. Let me try black. Can you see that? All right. Can you see that? All right. Gold is symbolic of faith. We've just seen that stones, these onyx stones, are considered precious. That's what stones, jewels represent, preciousness. Okay, so we've got faith. We've got preciousness. Uh, someone read for me Revelation chapter 8, verse 4. And the smoke of, their, of the incense which came with, pray, with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. All right, and so incense is said to represent what? Prayers. Prayers or intercession. I'll put up here. Intercession. That's what the high priest did with the incense. It was a form of intercession. Prayer. Uh, let me have someone read um, Psalms 12, verse 6. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times. All right. So silver is symbolic of the words of the Lord. This marker is running out on me, so are we about to move this up? Okay. Am I writing in vain right now? Okay. 
Uh, let's go, let's have someone read Jeremiah 15, verse 20. Now some of you can't see over there, huh? Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15, verse, verse 20. Verse 20, my Bible says, And I will make thee unto this people a fence, brazen wall, and they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Okay, brass in a negative sense represents obstinacy. In a positive sense, it represents um, um, steadfastness. Can yeah, that's much better for now. So will you type this? Will you type it out for me? Good, good. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> I'm about to just say, just forget it. Just listen now. Um, let's go with uh, Revelation 19, verse 8. Revelation 19, verse 8. Whoever has that, please stand up so I can find you. Brass was, uh, was, uh, was steadfastness. To be steadfast. He said, Jeremiah, I'm making you like brass. You're, you're going to withstand. You're going to be steadfast. You're not going to back down or step back. Sometimes he talks about the, 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 the sky being like brass or bronze, meaning being shut up. It's, it's steadfastness. Okay. Uh, did we have Revelation 19, verse 8? Oh, over here. Revelation 19, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is righteousness of saints. Okay, very good. So, righteousness is represented by fine linen. If you want to add to, 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 uh, to brass, impenetrable, impenetrable, steadfast, impenetrable, you can use either one of those. Um, let's have um, Exodus 26, verse 7. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. Okay, so the goat's hair represented what? A covering. A covering. And uh, that's what the sanctuary was actually covered with. Now, let me ask you something. Um, who is the sanctuary actually a type of? It's a type of Christ. So it makes sense. Goat's hair is a covering. Notice this one uh, in Exodus chapter 26, verse... Uh, ver Do we have verse 14? Exodus 26, verse 14. Who had verse 14? Okay, right over here. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of rams skins dyed red, and a covering above of badger skins. Okay. Now, there's nothing in the Bible that actually tells us uh, ram skins dyed red means this. It's kind of like a compound uh, symbol here. But what do you get from that? Ram skins dyed red. First of all, what's ram skin? Where do you get ram skin from? What kind of a ram? What kind of a male ram? 
How about a dead male ram? Okay, so this represents an animal that has died, and the Bible goes on to say that it was, uh, not only did it die, but it was, the skin was dyed what? Red. So what do you think of? Ram skins dyed red. Blood or sacrifice. Very good. Very good. Um, Exodus 26, verse 14, it also, would you read that verse again? There was something else mentioned in there. It was actually the badger skin. Did you see that? Okay, badger skin uh, uh, is believed to have been a type of seal skin. Something that wasn't very comely. It wasn't, there was nothing, you know, it was just kind of, uh, um, you know, monotonous. Nothing comely about it. What do you think? And this was the outermost covering of the sanctuary. So when a person looked at the sanctuary, they saw badger skin. Nothing comely about it. Well, what are we talking about here? The, the what? The flesh of Christ. Isaiah 53 verse 2 tells us, and that was your verse, I believe it was, tells us what? Go ahead, would you read that? Isaiah 53 verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of, the, out of dry ground, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Okay, very good, very good. Um, let's see here. Numbers 15, verse 38 and 39. Numbers 15, verse 38 and 39. Who had that? Okay, go ahead. Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and that they shall put on the tassel of each cor corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes after which you played the harlot. Okay, very good, very good. So blue is symbolic of what, everyone? Huh? The commandments of God or obedience to his commandments, okay? How about Matthew 27, verse 28 and 29? We're looking at purple and scarlet, and you will probably already be able to tell me, what do purple and scarlet represent? Royalty and the priesthood. Go ahead and read it. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Okay. They, they decked him with purple and scarlet, symbolizing that he was supposedly a king. And in the Old Testament, the colors of the priests that the priests wore were purple and scarlet. So purple and scarlet, symbolic of royalty and priesthood. Royalty and priesthood. Now, these other ones, one, two, three, four, actually three of them, uh, we need to look at just, you know, pretty simple things. Shittim wood was also known as acacia wood. Mm -hmm. And the word actually means thorn or scourge. Mm -hmm. Thorn or scourge or rather or actually curse. Let me ask you something. When you think about thorns and, and curse, what are you thinking? You're thinking about Jesus. You're thinking about the... the, the uh, you know, what he took upon us for himself. So let's just say acacia wood represents the curse or the scourge. This is the actual definition of the word, curse or scourge. What did the oil represent? That's real simple. Oil represents Holy Spirit. Uh, the ephod was worn on the shoulders 
and the breastplate over the what? Over the heart. Does that make sense? Did you get all that? Okay. Maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't get it. The, the typing up here is just is kind of going to just crash the whole thing, but that's all right. Now, here's what I want to do. What I'm showing you is there are ways to discover symbolism in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? You, you, find the, you, you look at the symbol you're trying to discover, and then you look at other places in the scripture to see, does it actually describe, you know, in a symbolic sense or in a prophetic sense, what this might represent or what that might represent? Now, here's the beautiful thing about this. Let's look at the very order in which God laid out this, this thing. Gold, faith. Our faith comes by what, by the way? Hearing. Silver, the word of, <laughs> listen to the first two objects, hear or have faith in the word of the Lord. Brass, be steadfast and silver, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, blue, and obey. So just think about this now. First four things that hear the word of the Lord, be steadfast and obey. I'm just going to read the rest of this to you to, to show you that God actually put a message in the very order of the material used to build a sanctuary. Here it is. Hear or have faith in the word of the Lord. Be steadfast and obey. And he will make you kings by his blood. I'm sorry. He will make you kings and priests through his righteousness. He will cover you by the sacrifice of his flesh. He will take our curse, scourging upon himself. And through his spirit, he will give you light. Anointed, that's the spices for the anointing all. He will intercede for us. Bearing us as precious upon his shoulders and in his heart. Do you understand my excitement when <laughs> I like, you know. So here we go. Good, I'm glad you guys are like, oh, we're just going now. Listen, no. Hear or have faith in the word of the Lord. Be steadfast, impenetrable, and obey. And he will make you kings and priests. Through his righteousness, he will cover you. By the sacrifice of his flesh, he will take our curse or scourging upon himself. And through his spirit, he will give you light. Anointed, he will intercede for us bearing us as precious upon his shoulders and in his heart. Oh. <laughs> Did I do it too fast? I need, oh, you're trying to write this down. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even see what's going on back here. All right. Hear or have faith. In the word of the Lord, that's silver. Brass, be steadfast. Blue and obey. 
purple and scarlet, and he will make you kings and priests, fine linen through his righteousness. Goats here, he will cover you. Ramskins dyed red by the sacrifice, badger skin of his flesh. Shittim wood, he will take our curse or scourging upon himself. Oil, and through his spirit, light, he will give you light. Spices for the anointing oil and sweet incense. Anointed, he will intercede for us. Onyx stones, as precious upon his shoulders and in his heart. All right. Did you get it? You still, you, he still didn't get the typing all in? I'll just give you my notes. How about that? Okay. Whew, man. How much time did we waste on that one? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, here is what I'm trying to tell you. Leave no, no stone unturned. Some things will make sense. Some things you may not be able but, to, but, but, but test everything. Look at everything. Leave nothing unturned. Let's go now to the actual sanctuary itself. And I hate to have to do this, but I'm going to need, well, forget it. You know, I, I wish we had a better board. Can we use a chalkboard in the back? Okay. In the meantime, I'm going to ask you to use your sanctified imaginations. All right? I want you to see. Yeah, you can erase all that. No chalk? No chalk? <laughs> <laughs> this is the army, huh? huh? Yeah, okay. If you could just draw that over here, and we can pull that. We don't have to, uh, we can close the screen down. Are you serious? 15 minutes. Man, I haven't even started a thing. Okay, here's what I'll do. You know, some people may not want to stay, so what I'll do is I'll just cut this into two presentations, and I'll finish it this evening, and I just won't do the other presentation I was planning to do. So, unless you unanimously vote for me to continue, I will not, because someone may want to leave. If, okay, if someone needs a break, you can feel free to get up, and I won't call you out or anything like that, ask you where you're going. You just, you know. Okay. So, you know what, and if, if, if you may need to, like, move to see this, I just, I, go ahead and feel free to do that. Um, yeah, I'm going to draw an illustration. I'm going to draw a diagram of the sanctuary, okay? So, just bear with me, and don't mind my drawing, but once we get this, uh, get this down, remember God is a divine designer. Okay? So, here we have the sanctuary, and uh, we have no furniture in, the, in there yet. I'm going to ask you 
to help me fill in the furniture. And I hope you remember our Orion picture. Remember our Orion picture? All right, so what would be the first article of furniture when you enter into the sanctuary? Altar of sacrifice, okay? So I'm just going to draw dots for everything. There's, because I'm not an artist. There is our altar of sacrifice. What did the altar of sacrifice represent? All right, you guys are calling out the answers already. You got it, the cross. But before we even go there, I just want the actual explanation. What happened at the altar of sacrifice? Animals were sacrificed. Okay, very simple. Uh, next one up, you had what? The laver. And what happened at the laver? The priests would wash their hands and their feet. Okay? And uh, they had to do this before they uh, entered into service. They were always washing hands and feet. They were to have clean hands and clean feet before the Lord. Uh, then if you were to go up into the holy place, you had three articles of furniture. Right? Uh, what were those articles? Okay, we have the altar of incense. Okay, and then you have the table of showbread. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just checking, just making sure. <laughs> table of showbread, and then you had your seven branch candlestick. There's our candlestick, okay? Now, uh, what did the table of showbread represent? Okay. Um, altar of incense? Seven-branch candlestick. Light of the world. City set on a hill, right? You're the light of the world. You're the city. Represented God's holy people. And then when you entered up into the most holy place, what did you have? The Ark of the Covenant with the tables of stone. And what else? The mercy seat. And the cherubim. And the Shekinah glory. Okay. So, we see here that God can... I hope I'm not blocking anyone. I'm just going to stand here. I'm just going to stay here. All right. So, we see here that God is the... <laughs> I was like, somebody's really taking pictures with a bright camera. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, where's my pointer? All right. So there we go. There is our, uh, our, our model of the sanctuary. Now, you'll remember that God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may what? Dwell amongst them. Okay? So this sanctuary was then, in fact, given to Israel placed in the center of Israel so that the people would recognize that God was with them. Amen? Amen. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Thank you. Matthew chapter 1. 
And let's take a look at verse 23. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a child shall be, a virgin shall be with child. <laughs> and she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. What did, what did, why did God say, I want you to make me a sanctuary? That I may what? Dwell among them. Jesus comes on the scene and his name is Emmanuel, meaning what? God with us. So what does that show us about the sanctuary? That it was a type of who? Of Jesus Christ. God hidden in the flesh. Amen? Amen? God with us. Not only do we find that the sanctuary is a type of Jesus, but the sanctuary actually foreshadowed the very way in which Jesus would die. How many of you see the pattern? If you were to draw an outline... Around the articles, follow just, yeah, there you go, there you go, there you go, there you go, uh-huh, 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 amen. <laughs> so, Thousands of years before Jesus dies on the cross, the sanctuary actually illustrated how he would die. In every place that there is an article of furniture, Jesus received a wound. Right hand, table of, I'm sorry, seven branch candlestick, left hand, table of showbread, feet, altar of sacrifice, head, a crown of thorns. We all know that Jesus died of a what? Broken heart. Beloved, let me tell you something. When you cut prayer out of your life, you are sure to die. A Roman soldier came and pierced Jesus in the side. And the priests who are often covered in blood or dirt or what have you, when they washed their hands with water, the water would mingle with, with, with these substances. When Jesus pierced in the side, what comes out? Blood and water. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold divine design. Are you following me? Well, not only does a sanctuary illustrate that Jesus died on the cross for us, it actually, it, it actually illustrates the way God saves us. The sanctuary actually contains the deliverance of Israel. Israel, they're in Egypt, and what is the first thing God asked them to do? Remember, 
They're about to be led out of Egypt. What does he tell them to do? Sacrifice an animal. What, for, what article? What article of furniture would that be? Altar of sacrifice. After they are led out of Egypt, you you tell me, please. Red Sea. Baptism. After they cross the Red Sea, the first thing that God rains down This is Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 17 or 18, I believe it is, God declares Israel his royal nation, his city on a hill. You are officially my seven-branch candlestick. In Exodus 19, Moses tells the people, I want you to spend three days in prayer because God is going to come down in Exodus chapter 20 and give us the Ten Commandments. Did you follow that? Are you seeing the divine designer? So not only does the sanctuary lead uh, show us how God led Israel out of captivity, the sanctuary also shows the path of Jesus' life. Where was Jesus born? Where? In a what? Amongst? Jesus was born ready to die. I'm missing up this. Jesus was born, as it were, on the altar of sacrifice. At the age of 30, he's baptized. The Bible says immediately after his baptism, he's led up into the wilderness where he is tempted how many times? Three times. What's the first temptation? <laughs> Do you think the devil must have been somewhat familiar with the pattern? What's the second temptation? Throw yourself down and offer up prayer to God. He'll save you. Third temptation? Listen, I know you want your holy city. I know you want your seven-branch candlestick. Just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you your city. The Bible says he showed them all the glories. What is glory? It's light. <laughs> all the glories of the world. Jesus overcame these three temptations and went on for the rest of his ministry to preach and lift up the commandments of God 
and faith in himself. Isn't that something else? One day, we're going to leave this earth. We're going to cross through that great, the skies are going to part open as the Red Sea did. Where we're going to enter the city of God and sit at the welcome table. <laughs> Spending 1,000 years in the judgment. And then the Bible tells us that the tabernacle of God will be with men. <laughs> you know the altar of incense symbolizes the earth ultimately. By the way, this is where Jesus what? Jesus died right here. Isn't that correct? And then once he died here, the Bible says he ascended up into heaven having been uh, uh, glorified. New flesh entered into where? The what? The holy place. And then in 1844, most holy place. By the way, this sanctuary illustration lets us know that when Jesus died, he did not just jump straight into the most holy place, did he? When we see the divine design, we know that the designer does not go against his own design. So just as Jesus, so one day we will leave this earth, we will travel through the skies, parted that, that just as Jesus, just as Moses parted the Red Sea, so one day the skies will roll apart like a scroll. Where am I? We will enter the city of God, sit at the welcome table. We will be priests and kings with him for a thousand years in the work of judgment. And then, you know, this is where man and God is finally what? Reunited when the temple of God or when the, the, the Bible says the tabernacle of God is now with what? With men in a very literal and real sense, the sanctuary, the sanctuary prophecies will be fulfilled in the book of Revelation chapter 22. This also tells our own story. Before you come to Christ, where are you? You're not even in, you're, you're somewhere down here. <laughs> and one day you say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. And you accept the cross. Praise God, it's over, my walk is finished. <laughs> All I need to do is accept the cross. Accept Jesus' sacrifice for me and it's done. Amen. No, the divine design says something different. Not only must I accept Christ at the cross, I must also what? Be baptized. Okay, yes, I'm baptized. Woo, made it. Praise the Lord. No, 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 no. No, not only must I accept the Lord and be baptized, I must also attend army Bible camp. Go to the morning meetings. And then go and tell everybody what I learned at Army Bible Camp. 
right? And ultimately, beloved, God wants to write his law in our hearts and in our minds. You know, listen, I was explaining this to someone the other day. Imagine these as bases. And in front of each one of these bases, there's like a demon. <laughs> and his job is to keep you from progressing, advancing towards God. And as you begin to think of your own experience, each one of you can look at this divine design and say, man, where am I in this chart? Am I even on the chart? God said, if you're not on the chart, you can get on the chart. All you have to do is accept me. But some of us just camp out right here, never go the next step. And some of us just say, hey, I study the Bible all day long, but we don't go out and witness. We don't pray. God is ultimately trying to lead us. And for our Sunday keeping friends, if we show them this pattern, guess what? <laughs> it shows exactly where God is trying to lead us. You see, many people want the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, but they want to reject his law in the process. You can't do that. You can't do that. So this divine design shows us incredible things about the, the plan of salvation, the process of salvation, and where we are in that process. And what I'm simply trying to tell you, beloved, is when we look for the designs, they suddenly jump out in beautiful pictures. Now, understanding this design helps us to understand the book of Revelation. And I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I can. So, I want you to turn with me. Oh, 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 oh. Wait a minute. Don't erase that. Just, just I'm going to tell you this, okay? You help me out. There were seven feasts in the Jewish year. What were those feasts? Given to me in order. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. 50 days later was what? Pentecost. And then after that, you had what? The trumpets, and then the Day of Atonement, and then the Tabernacles. Okay? Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what was the Feast of Tabernacles all about? People, okay, let's start from the front. Passover, what was all that about? The sacrifice of the lamb. Unleavened bread, what was that about? What does unleavened mean? No sin. It's also, it also is bread that has not what? Risen. First fruits, you know, that was coming forth from the ground. Pentecost, Holy Spirit. The Feast of uh, Trumpets. What was the trumpets about? Trumpets were about warning. It was preparation. Get ready. Why? Because the, the judgment is coming. The Day of Atonement is coming. And after the Day of Atonement, judgment, we then have tabernacles, which is where everyone what? Celebrated. Everyone celebrated. So this would be known as, this is the Jewish year in a cycle. 
the Jewish year. How many of you ever read the verse where Jesus comes on the scene, he begins his ministry with these words, he, God has uh, anointed him to preach to the poor, to heal, to do all these things, and then to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Ever read that term? The acceptable year of the Lord, what is that? The what? What is the acceptable year of the Lord? What was he talking about? He was talking about when, uh, you know, in this particular year, it was, it was about to be the beginning of a new year, and everything that, you know, a person owed or whatever, all debts were kind of like set free. And then you had a whole new year. But in that year, you had, you know, your seven feast days. The Jewish year was, year after year, you had the repetition of these seven feasts. Well, when Jesus comes upon the scene, he, of course, is our Passover, our unleavened bread, and our first fruits. Amen? Let me ask you a question. What books speak mostly about the life, the birth, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? The Gospels. Isn't that something else? The first four books of the New Testament circle around the feast of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Did you, did you get that? What's the next book of the Bible? Ooh. What's the next feast? Pentecost. Now, Acts is a highly historical book, but what happens uh, in the next book? Romans. What begins to happen? From Romans on to the book of Revelation, the writings of Paul and Peter, what are they doing? They're trying to prepare a people. Kind of like the trumpets did. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Get yourself ready. Why? Because judgment is coming. What book <laughs> what book illustrates and goes into the greatest depth about the coming judgment of God. The revelation. So you got revelation, day of atonement, Romans all the way to the book of uh, Third John, uh, trumpets, warning. What's the last feast? Tabernacles. What does Revelation chapter 21 begin with? The last part of the book of Revelation. What does it begin with? The tabernacle of God is with men. The very structure of the New Testament is a fulfillment of the feast days. A foreshadowing of the acceptable year of the Lord. All right, now, what are we seeing? Divine what? Design. Divine design. I'm going to just run through this very quickly. I'm going to share with you. When, uh, the, when, the, when you look at the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation moves through a natural progression. That progression actually follows the Hebrew sanctuary. I'm just going to give you one illustration because I don't have time to go into the, into the rest of this. But let's look at one thing here. 
the feast of, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, the seven churches has an opening scene. What is that opening scene? Seven branch what? Candlestick. Where is the seven branch candlestick found? In the holy place. So we know that the seven churches begin to unfold when Jesus is where? In the holy place. The first church, therefore, would begin to unfold when Jesus entered into the holy place. Thus, the seven churches are a delineation of events from the time Christ entered into the sanctuary until what? The second coming. Okay? Now, the um, seven trumpets. What's the opening scene of the seven trumpets? An angel is seen standing at the altar of what? Incense. Where's the altar of incense found? In the holy place. What does that tell us about the seven trumpets? By the way, in the Old Testament, the high priest, when, did he, when he ministered in the, at the altar of uh, at the, um, uh, candlestick, what else did he do at the same time? He also ministered at the altar of incense. He also, also uh, ministered at the table of shoe bread. It was a simultaneous ministry. All three things occurred simultaneously. Well, guess what? The seven churches, the seven trumpets, and the seven seals all begin with revelations in the holy place which tells us that the seven trumpets, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven, <laughs> seven trumpets all unfold, how? Simultaneously. And if you were to take the first church, the first seal, and the first trumpet, guess what you'd see? A divine pattern. If you were to take the second church, and the second trumpet, and the second seal, guess what you'd see? A divine pattern. You could take those, all the firsts, and all the seconds, and all the thirds, and all the fourths, and you can actually see a complete picture of events happening at one period of time. Which is why we stated that if you understand what happened in the first seven churches, you already have all the keys necessary to understand the seven seals, and the seven trumpets. Are you following me? Okay. After the seventh seal, this is our last thing, then we're going to close. After the seventh um, trumpet, Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, which begins a new progression of thought, opens up with a vision of the most holy place. What does that indicate to us? That from Revelation 11 uh, onward, Revelation 11 verse 19 onward, are a depiction of events clustering around the judgment. The most holy place in particular. Revelation chapter 15, we find seven angels coming out of the temple. 
to pour out plagues upon planet Earth. Have you ever stopped to wonder why? Where are they coming out of? They are coming out of the most holy place. Seventh-day Adventists. The seven angels with the seven last plagues are, are coming out of the most holy place. They are about to punish the earth and they are coming out of the most holy place. Why? Whatever, whatever went wrong, wherever this judgment came from, we want to see where were the angels coming from because that's where the judgment came from. What's in the most holy place? The Ten Commandments. <laughs> Could it be that those who receive the seven last plagues are those who rejected what is found in the very place where the seven angels with the seven vials are coming from? In fact, if you were to read Psalm 91, Psalm 91 tells us that those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide forever. And then it talks about plagues being poured out. Oh, man. <laughs> what? And after these plagues are poured out, you have, you know, and by the way, the children of Israel in, around the Old Testament sanctuary, you know, those who were not prepared on the Day of Atonement, they were cut off. So here's what you have happening in the plagues. And then Revelation chapter 20, you now have Jesus coming and laying or, or grabbing hold of the devil and casting, casting him out into a wilderness. What is that? That's Jesus coming out of the sanctuary and placing the sins upon the scapegoat. And then what do you have in Revelation 21 and 22? The Feast of Tabernacles. Everyone rejoices because all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Beloved, we have just looked at the entire structure of the book of Revelation. And now, with this structure, you can go in yourself. If you can get the seven churches down, you can go in and say, okay, well, whatever the first seal is and whatever the first trumpet is, it must somehow correlate with what the first church is because in the Bible, there is nothing new, only more detail. All right, I'm finished. How many of you are excited to go check out the book of Revelation for yourself? Praise God. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for revealing that there is indeed a divine design to the word of God. Please, Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the depth, the beauty, and the majesty of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080 that's 805-226-8080 thank you and god bless